What's good, everybody? I'm Robert Dickens Jr. This is Ryan Reed. This is Elanders Frazier. This is John Gall, and you're listening to Volta. Changing the conversation for percussion educators, designers, and performers. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to Season 2, Volta Percussion. What's our main theme? (laughs) Changing the conversation? Speaking of different conversations? Conversation. Changing the conversation. Season two, changing the conversation. We're always changing the conversation. We've changed the conversation like six times already. (laughs) Uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening. E, can you give us a little, uh, some facts? How many different countries tuned in to last season? Oh, we going, we kicking off with stats? Over over six different countries, or was it six different continents? Oh, I mean, there's only seven Almost continents. Now, right? Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> maybe with Elon Musk, we'll be the first podcast on Mars. <laughs> um, we are in one, two, three, four, five, six continents, which we're not in Antarctica. They need to step it up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, seven different continents. We are in a total of nine countries, uh, including France, Ghana, Germany, United Kingdom, Brazil, Italy, Australia, and Turkey. Uh, that's countries and territories, to be specific. Uh, and then a total of 59 cities. So pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. And uh, just as a... I guess thank you to everybody that has listened. Lifetime downloads are at 360. So it's seven o'clock. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) That was Fury (laughs) letting us know what time it is. (laughs) So at at this time right now, it's seven o'clock as we're recording this podcast. But again, everyone, we just want to thank you so much for tuning in, downloading. Uh, following us. Uh, we have some really cool topics starting out for our season two, but we'd love to hear more from you guys. So yeah. send us uh, some comments, send us an email. Our email is voltapercussion at gmail.com. And you can email myself or Landers, Ryan or Robert anytime there. Um, anything you guys would be interested in, in, us talking about maybe you talking with us who knows we have some guest appearances kind of lined up in this upcoming season but once again just thank you to everyone for tuning in and so we had a little sabbatical a little hiatus since our last podcast our last discussion so we thought we'd start with the ball rolling it's a new year a lot of new news going on, so we thought we'd just kind of catch up, seeing how we're all doing all across the United States. I'm here in Texas, Atlanta's in Florida, Robert's in Georgia, and Ryan is up north in Ohio. Uh, topic for the day, COVID. As everyone has been going through the news, has anything changed in the educational sphere? Percussion. What's going on, guys? <clears throat> <laughs> have snow up there i mean it snowed over here we got about three or four inches here in texas outside my house i saw some pictures of snow in texas like i saw a picture it was like yesterday it snowed today it did not like that's weird in texas <laughs> snowing 
It's just been cold here. Surprisingly cold for Florida. It's just been um, consistently in like the 40s, which is real weird. I hate it. I'm wearing a beanie right now, partly because I'm bald, but the other part is just it's it's been consistently cold. Um, I don't. Thank like you, it. Ryan. Can we hear from the other Ryan now? <laughs> oh, my bad. My bad. Our, uh, our high this weekend is supposed to be 32 degrees with some snow. So. Oh, that's an interesting high there, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, so I guess we want to talk COVID and education. Yeah, man. <laughs> so. Um, you know, I'll speak a little bit about Ohio, I guess. Um, we uh, we've kind of run a gamut through our whole state. There's been schools that have been remote the whole time. Um, so, like, haven't seen any kids in uh, in person other than, like, marching bands, some extracurricular activities, if schools are letting those still happen. Uh, but by and large, those, those schools are staying home. Then, uh, and I'm sure this is probably the three different uh, different methods that every every school is using or or something of we have a hybrid version which is like a days and b days and some of the kids show up on their or some yeah half the kids show up on a day which is usually like monday thursday and the b day is like tuesday friday and then everybody's got wednesday as like a virtual day or i've seen one school that was like we're gonna be in and do this kind of stuff Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday is like deep clean of the school. So nobody's on either they're online Friday or schools um, at some places I've seen, I've seen them do that um, because up here hours constitute like a school calendar is a certain number of hours. We changed a couple of years ago to not a certain number of days to kind of help with calamity days because it snows in Ohio especially if you're up north by Lake Erie, it really snows in Ohio. <laughs> I was home for Christmas. We got about six inches or so. I saw friends up in New York that had three feet. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, three feet of snow. Um, so we switched to hours a couple years ago to help with some of the calamity days and that kind of stuff, having snow days and whatnot. Um and then our third version, which my school's on for a while, is just everybody all in full time, either either four days a week and taking one day to like clean the school and do a, do a remote learning day, or or five days a week. And we were five days a week up until uh, up until Thanksgiving, and then in our area there were just too many staff members that were out due to either COVID or illnesses or family members had illnesses. And we had to go remote basically from uh, November up until yesterday. We were remote learning. So remote learning has been interesting. I don't know if anybody else has stories garbage. of remote learning. I've, I've actually enjoyed it because you can like, <laughs> we just turned music on and drummed and got technique and, and that stuff, which we needed. Um, so for us, it was really good, but, uh, that's kind of what it looks like in Ohio right now. Yeah, I, I will say, I think I got some mixed feelings about the whole virtual thing. On one hand, I do like it. Um, just as an introvert, as a person that prefers to be socially distanced, uh, prior to social distancing anyway. Um, but at the same time, I think that I, the pandemic has really made me realize how much I feed off of my students' energy 
Um, and being able to interact with them face to face is really, really, really important to me. Um, so it's been cool, um, it, especially in the Atlanta area. It's been very mixed. Um, I'm in Fulton County. So we started back with like nobody for a while and then we could do after school because you know luckily they've allowed us to do anything that they're allowing any of the other sports to do um so we've been going after school pretty much then halfway through we did like 25 percent of people that want to come back then 50 percent you know working up to 100 percent of the students that want to come back but it's still not you know fully integrated which is great for me. I mean, I feel like it's, it's, it's a good balance. But pretty much everything for the most part has pretty much been the same. Just minus just like Ryan said, I will say at the beginning of the semester, it was cool being able to incorporate some type of technology that I wasn't able to incorporate earlier. Just like putting playlists and stuff into our warmups and just different stuff that we could do to kind of just work on the skills. So from an educational standpoint, it's been great. Um, but as far as the, I think the biggest thing that I know I've been concerned about and my uh, colleagues have been concerned about is, are we losing those kids that we can usually connect with them and they really like being in band because of that in-person experience? So that's kind of a concern of like, you know, are, are we going to lose a lot of our concert band, symphonic band, one ensemble kids? that usually would get a lot of attention because they're not doing marching band, you know, are we going to lose those kids because, you know, they, they don't have that and we can't, you know, we can only do so much virtually. So um, it's been cool overall. I, it's definitely been mixed as far as the counties and stuff. Forsyth County, where John Gall is from, they went back full on. They were. Forsyth. <laughs> They what went back. Up. <laughs> <laughs> they were. They were not worried. Well, I'm not gonna say they were not worried about COVID. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna throw them out there like that. But they were one of the few counties in the metro area that just straight up went back to school. Like they did not have virtual or anything like that. Like there's a lot of speculation as to how safe it's been. I will tell you something else that's very interesting is we are having an indoor season. Uh, in the area, and all of the shows are in Forsyth County Schools. So I don't know how I feel about that, but I mean, it is what it is. My kids are getting a chance to do drums in the gym, but yeah, it's it's very it's very mixed. I, I I do agree with Ryan. It has been good to just work on the technique part of it, and to allow kids to kind of like build up their skill set because I feel like that's the biggest advantage to the pandemic um, is that like all the programs where maybe you haven't had as much success and there are a lot of like fundamental things that are stopping you from having success, i.e. vocabulary, technique, all of these kind of building block things. I feel like this year has been a really good opportunity for that to be moved out of the way so that, you know, when we do come back to normal, like there's a lot more that the students already understand so that you have a better foundation. So I would say though, it also depends on the type of student and the situation. And the reason I say that, because my perspective is, is different. I'm a new percussion director at a school and with this whole virtual thing that's going on, it has been like pulling teeth trying to get kids to practice and to do work. 
Now, I don't know if that's for a few reasons. I mean, because I like to think of all the different variables. So it could be a maybe it's just the demographic. They haven't been taught because this is a new situation, new director. Right. They don't know where I'm coming from because they never had a percussion director. So they haven't been pushed this much. It could be that my particular type of school that I'm in, I'm in I'm in Fort Worth. Right. We have we're a CTE program. So it's not a, a typical public school kids, uh, not audition, but kids have to go through a, a long list of process processes. Yes. Has to go through a long process. Let's go with that. Has to go through a long process in order to attend uh, my high school. And they don't go there for the music program. They go there for the college courses and, and, and the work credits that they, they get for their, for their degrees and whatnot. Uh, so I don't know if it's maybe because that environment isn't so band music led that or driven that the kids just don't have that internal drive. But anyway, I say that all to say is, is the band director and I were trying to find ways to create that intrinsic motivation through ed- extrinsic means so that eventually over a process of time, those extrinsic, you know, reward systems will turn into an intrinsic motivation, which I think is, is the struggle for every teacher, especially as you're first starting out, no matter where you're starting. Uh, my school system has this different, and this is what I was uh, surprised to hear, Ryan, where you guys have basically, I think you said a four-day work week, one-day cleaning, and that one-day cleaning is virtual. Yeah. Which, do, yeah. I mean, if I was a kid, I would work for four days and have a three-day weekend. Even if I was a teacher, I would even like maybe shortcut that. I'm not saying that you guys don't do that in any way, and you're you're the best teacher out there, Ryan. But I'm just saying, I don't know. Maybe it's it's easy to be tempted to slack off oh. on virtual day. <laughs> oh, it is. Like I said, we did remote learning for the last month, and I can't tell you how many kids would not wake up for their 8:30 a.m. class, and it's the second class of the day, and they'd roll into indoor practice after school, and I just look at them and be like, "Where you? Where were you in class?" They're like. I was still sleeping at 8.30 on a school day. (laughs) My parents smacked me, by the way, for that. (laughs) Just as a a review for my, and I don't pay attention to the news that much, so I don't know how it's different district to district in Texas, but at least in the Fort Worth uh, district ISD for where I'm at, uh, and this is, again, specific to my school, I think, only, but it could be for other schools. We are doing a cohort schedule. So we have an A, B, so hour and a half classes. Uh, we meet every day. And depending if your last name is A through L or M to Z, you're either in person or you're online, depending if you chose to be in person 100%, hybrid, or virtual 100%. <clears throat> And that's the hard part. I, I think that's the hardest part, at least for me as a teacher, is that some days I'll be teaching maybe five to seven students in person, and then the other 20 or so are online. Or I may have, like for as a percussion director, I may teach two kids and have the other students online. And I, I never know if they're actually going to be in person for after school rehearsals for percussion ensemble or indoor, or if they're working a job to survive with their family, or if they're doing sports 
or if they're just busy with their other classes. So like this hybrid in-person slash virtual is, is definitely strenuous, uh, I think, for everybody because you can't, it's hard to hold people accountable. Either the students aren't turning on their videos or their mics or they are having Wi-Fi issues so they can't play and there's the delay. So nothing has really turned up for the better. Those Wi-Fi issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I think because our middle school was on that same kind of schedule, but we weren't like kids when they were home. So we did remote learning for a little while, and then our middle school went to a co cohort schedule like that. But when kids weren't in the building, they were just working on their own. So like in their normal classrooms, teachers would see them you know, t teachers normally see them four days a week or five days a week. So they would just assign them two days worth of work or three days worth of work every time they saw them. But with band, I don't know what it's like for you guys. We see them two days a week on that cohort schedule to begin with. And then when it's one day in, one day out, I was seeing students one day a week. And I thought out of all the schedules that we were doing, that was the least beneficial in terms of education because if a kid when we were online if a kid misses one day a week who who knows the next time i'm going to see them if they just decide to not turn their camera off on or have wi-fi issues or whatever so i went i went for since christmas or since, since thanksgiving break till now without seeing some students Wow. You know, so I went, yeah, uh, wow. we were rolling and we got to Thanksgiving. Then it's like, all right, shut everything down. So I think some of the experiences you're seeing, John, is just oh, the consistency, you know, in the scheduling. And it's not that the school's doing anything wrong. It's just that schedule always leads to inconsistencies. Because, like, take, take this Monday, for example. This Monday is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, so you lose Monday. So one of your cohorts is already out, out a day, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so, I mean, you just see that like in February, we'll have president's day and you lose an entire day, which means you see those kids one day a week. So, can, I, can I get it? Can I get a March holiday? Anybody? <laughs> <laughs> can we make St. Patty's day official? The whole pandemic situation is that kids aren't taking like it's not so rigorous of school starts at exactly this time it ends at this time yeah right yeah. but class periods are designated for certain times but many of my students are either suddenly at the dentist or uh walking their dog or babysitting something something else is going on during that designated school time almost all the time mm -hmm. life is always getting in the way all of a sudden and i know it's probably the new shift of how education is going to be in the future but it, it's difficult from a music perspective that consistency of kids showing up either virtually or in person practicing or playing for whatnot when they have all these other distractions going on I, I wonder when you when you mention that you say shifting to the future in terms of how education will work do you think that that's something that's even plausible in terms of like shifting the landscape of how education will work almost like convention-esque 
to where schools will be, education will be a la carte in grade schools, and they'll be able to select what they, you know, what they're going to do on a schedule that they want to, to take it at and, and be able to, to function that way appropriately. I think uh, if I were a student, I would love that. I'm, it, well, it depends on the type of student. For me personally, I'm a type of guy that the way I'm seeing the future of education is very much how like summer school, do it on your own time type of thing. So like for summer school, I had to take some extra classes uh, that I just couldn't fit in the fall. And this is uh, specifically for college. So this is mainly a, a college specific perspective that I'm coming from, but I had to take psychology and I had to take some U.S. history on something. But the great thing was, is like I was able, because everything was already pre-packaged, I was able to run through things and get through both programs instead of what, like taking all summer. I think I finished it in half the time. Yeah. And I got A's and I got A's. Like I was, I sat my, I just sat down and just studied and worked and that's what I did. I got done really, really quick. So it was super efficient for me having that prepackaged college course already set up like that. And I think with this whole pandemic showing that things can be done virtually, especially core classes, uh, I think a lot of people will want to head that direction because it, it just think it cuts tons of over, overhead costs. Mm-hmm. You have everything already set up. You take it at your own time. So that gives you opportunities as a student to kind of work a lot more uh, make, save a lot of the, again, overhead expenses, college, whatnot. Uh, but I think there is a downside, especially in the music environment. It takes away of that, that, uh, communication, the, the relationships, that interaction, which is, I think, extremely important as a musician. Yeah, I, I definitely agree um modularization is something that we've been talking about a lot at my job um in relationship to how uh education is filtering into the corporate realm uh and talking about how you know colleges are using a lot of it and how it's starting to filter its ray into corporate training and and stuff like that because i'm a corporate trainer and how we look at the world is a lot different from a corporate side than how we look at it from a traditional educational model because it's all a dirt learning, right? It's different than the traditional grade school model. But the similarities that we have in there is making sure that the knowledge transfer happens, right? That at the end of the day, what we want it to express from an objective standpoint gets delivered, right? So that doesn't change. But in figuring out how to make sure that that happens stays the same. So the thing that I always consider, especially when I have to bounce back and forth, because it's like I spend all day long training adults and then I go after and then go train teenagers, you know, or middle schoolers, you know, to that effect. And it's like, I have to shift that brain to say, nope, nope, nope. You're not an adult. (laughs) You're not, I gotta, I gotta, you know, reassess how I deliver this information, but like how I organize and set up also has to alter just slightly a little bit too, just because you have to really, you know, you know, get into like, 
you know, a flow and methodology to make sure students, especially those grade school students, have like this permanent, you know, I think we talked about this through the text a little bit, like have the, like this, this permanent kind of structure that allows them to move from moment to moment to moment to moment to moment to moment that keeps them on this consistent base, you know, so that they have structure in order for them to, to make strides. And I think that's what everybody's really been struggling with in the educational system is that this virtual model doesn't allow us to set up that consistency kind of to what Ryan says is that we're so used to having it kind of given to us because if they're in school all day long, that's given consistency, right? They have to come to school. We have that consistency built in, but what happens when that gets ripped away? Now we're trying to find ways to build some sort of consistency back and then not to mention on top of that we're trying to build new skill sets along with trying to build this new consistent framework to to fit in the educational model to make sure that we meet all of the objectives that we want them to have by the end of the year you know what i mean so it's like we're still trying to achieve the same goals we don't have the same traditional consistent model that we used to have yet we're also trying to build a brand new structure that we hope will function going forward into the future like this year has brought like so much change and like all these differences you know to us that like it's it's um, i feel like it's kind of driving us mad at the same time but like we're learning so much as educators in in order to kind of make us more versatile uh as educators because you know we used to think we could only do so much and this year has proven that we're capable of so much more. We just never have had to do it before. But it's like now we have all this stuff. But then what happens when you're capable of doing so much, but you've never had to do it, but now you demonstrate that you can? Then people say, this is what I want. You know what I mean? Like that, like that, that's just the reality of the situation. Now that we've demonstrated, yes, I can functionally run a virtual class and still get you to an educational goal. Now, students, parents, administrators, et cetera, will say, you've demonstrated that you can do it. Now I want it done at least three months out of the year. Even though we're going back to the school, I still want virtual classes at least three months out of the year, or at least I want at least you training at least one virtual class and five traditional classes or two virtual classes and four traditional classes. You know what I mean? Like it becomes a mix. And we're seeing that on our end, like on the corporate scale, like it's like we're moving to a model of we're going to do this many virtual courses and then this many in-person courses when we start moving back into the office. Like it'll never be the same again. Right. It'll be different from now going forward because I used to be an in-person trainer every class that I train. Now it's going to be a mix. It's going to be a mix of virtual and in-person. And, and that's it's like it compounds. So it's like I assume that you all are going to see a level of that as well inside of the mm -hmm. grade school model to where it's either going to be you're going to have students that are going to be a mix or it's going to be for if you want to do music history, that's going to be a virtual course so that students can take it at any time. Or if you want to do music theory, that's going to be a virtual course. You know what I mean? Like it's going to be that kind of mixed model of things. And then we have to figure out how to navigate it appropriately so that we can always meet the objectives that we want to get to the end of the year while still making sure that the structure is still there to make sure that the kids get everything that they need by the end of the day. And that's, it's, it's, 
it's such a difficult thing to think about because I know like when I was a student, I needed that structure. Like I, I couldn't function as a high schooler if I didn't have to get my butt up every day and be in class. Like I was that kid that needed to be in class because I'm on that ADD spectrum. You know what I mean? Like I got to be there in order for me to, to me to get it. You know what I mean? Because if I'm left to my own devices, like I'm here. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm out here somewhere. Yo, E, reel it in. Okay. You know what I mean? But like there are a lot of kids that are that way that like we say, like they need that person talking to them. I need mm. that that discourse. I'm that kid that wanted to talk to my teacher. I wanted to be in class to ask them that questions, to feed off their energy, to see if, you know, we got a debate started in class, to see what other students were thinking about. Like the virtual stuff wouldn't have worked for me as a student. You know what I mean? So I can only imagine what other kids are feeling that kind of pressure now in this environment to where it's like, you not only have to function in this environment, and we're just talking about base level functioning. But now mm -hmm. you also have to excel because you have to excel to be able to qualify for your scholarships. You still want to get prepared for college, right? You still want to make good first impressions. Like, you know, you talk about if you're a freshman and you're, you know, becoming a sophomore, et cetera, like you still have impressions you have to make in order to, to move forward through the chain of, you know, upperclassmen, et cetera. Like that's, that, that's a whole different pressure that these kids are now experiencing you know, as we move forward through this pandemic. So I, I agree. I think there's, I, I feel like the whole virtual thing has created more diversity and a greater range to reach different learning styles. Um, and I think that you definitely hit on that with being in person. Um, because I think that there are some students that for them, being able to learn virtually has probably helped them based on their learning style. Just because I know for, for me as a teacher, sometimes depending on, you know, which students are able to grasp things and which students aren't, I can over explain things and go over things over and over and over again, because I'm kind of trying to teach to the bottom of the room of the students that don't really know and that are struggling to get it. But for my students that are a little bit more advanced and that are more self-driven, they can get the information and they can just go at their own pace and I'm not holding them up. So I definitely feel like on both ends, I feel like the whole, the whole virtual thing is great because it is expanding the amount of the diversity and the, the breadth of like what we're able to offer to students. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's a great thing. Um, the other thing that I feel like is great is it allows us to create more systems. And I feel like those of us that have been teaching for a while that we kind of have done it for so long that we kind of have our systems in our heads. Um, the whole virtual thing for me has helped me get more organized. Um, because it's helped me to automate certain things that I would do naturally on my own anyway, and I have to do it in person. It's like one of the first things that I did when we did go virtual, uh, which started, I feel like around when we were getting ready to go into marching band and all that was a lot of the introductory things that I would explain in a, a marching band packet or a concert percussion technique packet. I created videos to explain grip form and playing areas or, you know, rhythms, articulation and dynamics and how to approach those things. 
I created those things first, which allow me to one, automate it. So every single year, I don't even really have to put that in the packet. I can put that in the packet, but I can also give that to my students so that the ones that are self-driven, they can already have the information, but also the students that aren't really that self-driven, I can say, watch this video and then come ask me questions about what you don't understand, which again, allows us to move a little bit faster. Um, so I, I definitely see the benefits in it. I look forward to kind of going in a mix between those. I feel like the other thing that has been better for me is I've learned better how to uh, pinpoint where students are by giving them more video assignments on a weekly basis. Um, whereas say for instance, if we're all in class together and there's 30 of you, I don't really have time to watch every stop the class and go like one kid at a time. Like, you know, what are you doing? What are you not doing? But I'm able to give them more of that specialized attention because of video assignments or by saying, hey, everybody turn your camera on. You know, we're gonna do like, you know, this 10 second, 15 second assignment. Like you have to play this for everybody at the end of class on Fridays. I feel like that's helped me to give the students that need the individual attention a little bit better attention. And I feel like those two things in particular, I do wanna take with me into the future of my own teaching style. Mm -hmm because I feel like it's better for my students that are more advanced that are self-driven. And it's also better for my students that they need that one-on-one -on -one help for them to try to absorb as much as they can before they come and just ask me, you know, what to do. Yeah, I, think, I, think that. Oh, I think one of the biggest areas where I've seen improvement and one of the things that is like, I've tried to figure out how to continue it is with the virtual stuff, it's given the kids that are like that, that next level down from like your, you know, superstars or whatever, it's given them a safe place to experiment, if that makes sense. Like when they're learning skills and they're first trying to develop them, like we've all, we all know those students that are like real timid when they're first learning stuff because they don't want people to hear them do something wrong. You don't have to be heard now. You can, you can experiment and figure that out on your own. And it's truly a safe space for them to like suck at something for a little while and then get it good on their own and then go from there. And the other thing I really like about the virtual learning, um, cause we've been doing everything through Google meet or zoom or, or something like that, uh, a format like that is you can see everybody in the class right there. So it's not like I'm trying to scan over an entire percussion ensemble or anything like that. Cause again, I know I'm second year at my program right now. So we just took this time to devote work to technique and fixing hands and that kind of stuff. But like without, it forced me to not hear kids, but to literally watch their hands and go, all right, are we, are we moving the same way? And then forced me to go, all right, I'm going to play for students more because on a normal year, all we're going to do as teachers is we're going to walk up, like turn your hand this way, grab their hand, fix their hand, move their elbow, do this, do that, stand up this kind of thing. Yeah. It's all tactical, like move them till they're right. And it's made me a much better teacher, uh, this year of like, I got to do that without being able to like place, place my hand and show a kid like, you no, know, move it here. Okay. I know you can't I, like, 
even in person, like I got to stay six feet away from kids. I can't walk up and just grab their hand and move it for them. But it's like, no, watch this. It's what I call monkey see monkey do learning. Like I'm going to do it. I'm the example. Just match me. If there's any questions, just match what I'm doing. And I've seen a lot of improvement from kids then. And I, I ask myself as I'm, as I'm teaching like this now, I'm like, why did I never do this before? Why did I just try to like explain everything away versus like, I want you to play like me anyways. I'll just play for you. Like marching band, I, I got a huge dose of it when I was working with the front ensemble. We had an extra marimba I rolled out and just started playing with the kids and like demonstrating stuff. And like, no, you're missing this note because this sticking will bring you under and you got to think of it this way. And like that, they're better because they just saw me do it, you know? Or like, hey, think of this this way or play the scale this way or like they can see me do all these things. And it's forced me to reevaluate my playing and be like, am I, am I really doing what I'm explaining or am I explaining it in a way that like makes sense, but I'm not actually doing it that way. And I think we've yes. all as teachers kind of done that where it's like, okay, I think I do it this way. I'm going to explain it this way. And then a kid asks you a question. You're like, man, just listen to what I'm saying. And now it's like, no, I actually don't really do it that way anymore <laughs> you know so i think i think it's forced me to reevaluate a lot of stuff and i felt like i already had a pretty mainstreamed like process of like we do this we do this we do this we do this and now i'm like all right i still do those things but i think i'm better at them i think there's a few more steps in the process but the process got more efficient and, you know, the last thing for me is, and I, I have struggled with this for years, but truly investing in kids, I think with this whole pandemic, I I said, I took it what I did last year with my program. I was like, this did not work. Okay, why didn't it work? These things, these things, these things. And I, I looked at that and invested in myself. But then, like, every time we meet remote or every time we really meet in person, all right, how you guys doing? Like, you how are you doing not like not like how y'all doing how are you doing right but like because in with this pandemic like the kids feel separated from each other they feel even when you're in a room you're still like 6 10 12 feet away from each other so it's like just taking that time to to make sure that they know that i care about them but also to be like i care about you you got to care about you and, and you got to care about doing this, being good at this thing. Okay. Cause this, this gives you a little bit of that escapism from everything that's going on. So just trying to, trying to invest in kids and be a little bit more empathetic, um, to what they're going on. Because I definitely, the remote learning has, has showed me like the kids that do the best with that kind of stuff. And then the other kids that like are great kids, but they're like, I can't, I need, somebody in front of me i need somebody i need to know somebody cares i need somebody in front of me telling me what to do like i have a i have a great kid that through remote learning like we're coming back our grade quarter ends this friday she was like um yeah i fell behind 50 assignments for my classes just because there was no motivation like not not a bad kid but without somebody there going you gotta do this they're like, okay, sign on to class. Sign off of class. Bedtime. 
I had kids tell me all the time, and, and this is not, I do not condone this. They're like, I got on for band, and then I went back to sleep. And it's like, man, they need that structure in their lives. You're, you, that, that point in itself about the structure and how necessary, like, music educators are in terms of, like, in the in the landscape of like the arts and how it fits academically within the rest of the subjects in terms of this is why this student shows up to school every day i think sometimes people they underestimate that they underestimate it athletically they underestimate it from a music standpoint, sometimes they underestimate it from an academic standpoint, you know? Mm -hmm. If it's a kid that, you know, is a rock star at, you know, whatever club that they're in, whether it's chess club or mathletes or whatever it is that they excel in, if that's what drives them at that particular school and then they are suddenly ripped away from that access, that motivation and drive has affected everything that they do you know mm -hmm. what i mean so like it's disheartening to hear that and then the question at that point is how do we as educators from a total landscape standpoint make it so that we can get them involved in everything that they do how can we make everything interesting you know what i mean like what is it going to take to make economics interesting or college algebra or just algebra you know what i mean like and that's the kind of stuff that i think about every time i step into a classroom like the most boring thing that i can you know talk about like how do i make that the most interesting thing in the world now because this may not be the one thing that keeps them here but it needs to be for this moment Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I feel like every teacher, if they are a true teacher in spirit, they have to carry that with them into every single classroom. Like, how do I make this the most interesting moment of these individuals' lives right now? You know what I mean? Because otherwise, I'll just sign off. I don't really want to be here. I feel like I'm being forced to be here but I don't really want to be here. You're not making it any interesting for me. Why am I here? Uh, you know, I think, I think there's an interesting distinction that needs to be made from what you're saying that I thought about um, while Ryan was talking as well. This is Ryan Reed, and you're listening to Volta, changing the conversation for percussion educators, designers, and performers. Is I think that there's a big difference between teaching students and like teaching at students. You know what I mean? And I feel like specifically during the, with the whole virtual thing, I feel like it's really exacerbated that issue of like classes where you go in and the teacher is just throwing information. You know what I mean? They're not actually connecting with you or seeing how that information connects with you culturally, you know, socially, et cetera. They're not connecting any dots that make the information relevant for you at all. And They're not engaging. Like you're right. You're not you're not engaging with me as a student. And I feel like if anything, as much as we as educators 
um, and a lot of educators that I know have complained about students not interacting virtually, a lot of that is really, they're just giving us back the same energy that we give out on a daily basis. Yeah. Like, we probably, <laughs> we usually, and I, 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 I have to admit, like I see myself in a lot of ways, like, okay, I know that that's not, I know that whenever I teach my students, like I have to bring that energy and like, you know what I mean? And I feel like virtual has pulled that out of me to know, okay, I have to bring that energy every time that I teach because there's no one in the room except me in a lot of instances. So mm -hmm. like Ron said before, I have to play more. I have to have more examples of how I explain things. I have to be more explicit in my explanations. I have to, you know, have way more metaphors and ask kids to raise their hands virtually and, you know, ask. You gotta have more energy to teach virtually. That's the thing I found, man. Straight it's up. It's exhausting to get kids to engage through a computer screen. It's yeah, exhausting to get anybody to engage through a computer screen from kids all the way to adults. I yes. promise. Yes, 100%. Yes. So it's like we have to, I feel like if anything, it's been revelatory for this for the teachers that are actually self-assessing, it's been revelatory to say, okay, how well am I actually connecting with all my students? Like, mm -hmm. do I actually know all of their names, like first and last names? And when was the last time that I spoke to them as an individual? When was the last time that I actually asked them, like Ryan said, how they are actually doing as an individual versus everything being a comment, everything being, I need you to do this, everything being, you know, just kind of commands, like how are we engaging them on a regular basis? Like one of the things I started doing at the end of um, each class is just asking random stuff about pop culture, you know, what's going on, blah, 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 blah. And of course, the last thing that's, that's come up most recently is, Kanye and Kim supposed to be getting a divorce. And, <laughs> and then, of course, one of my students told me that it's alleged that Kanye cheated on Kim Kardashian with Jeffree Star. And I'm like, who the heck is that? <laughs> and, you know, just all this kind of crazy stuff. But it's, it's funny that as soon as someone asked them about that, like the entire class like lit up immediately. Yeah. You know what I mean? Into like, oh, well, this or that or like... It just perked up everyone's minds because, like, we were talking about something that had to do with them. You know what I mean? Like, one of the things that I have done that I felt that was cool over the past, over this past year or whatever, was my students, for some reason, are playing this game called Among Us that's, like, some, like, really popular game for some reason. And they invited me to, like, their Discord and was like, Mr. Dickens, you got to get on and like play Among Us. And I'm like, this is stupid. Like, I mean, but it was actually a pretty cool game. But at the same time, I feel like I've done a better job of like actually connecting with my students as people versus like mm -hmm. just sitting on the outside of like, I want you to be this great person, you know, and build all these life skills and blah, blah, blah. Like, that's cool. But I think that students can tell when you're not really tuned in with them. Yeah. And we can throw as many principles and like life skills at them as we want. But if we don't actually connect with them on a personal level, 
they're not going to receive all that information and they're not going to buy into it. So I think for me, my question has been to myself, like, do you really buy into your own percussion program and the way that you teach and your philosophies? Because if you don't, like your students pick up on that. And I feel like virtual really exposes that. Mm-hmm. Like if you if you're not really sure, like how what your process is. Right. Yeah. I, I think you coined it perfectly in terms of do you buy into your own pedagogy, your 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 how you explain the world through your eyes and are are you excited about explaining that to other people? You know what I mean? Like we talk about people that are dead in the eyes when they go out and they explain it to other people. And it's like, you're not even excited to be sharing this with other people. Why should I be excited about hearing it from you? You know what I mean? And like, I I can't tell you how many conferences or things that I've sat in. And it's like, you want me to sit through this entire meeting while you explain this to me. And it literally sounds like you hate every moment of this and you built it. You know what I mean? It's like, and you built this, like this thing that's supposed to change our efficiency. And you sound like you absolutely hate it. Like that to me just screams that you don't like what you're doing. And it's like, and and we're supposed to be making the tastemakers of the world. And, and, And if we're making the tastemakers of the world, we've got to be ultra engaging in terms of our passion about why we still love what we do and why we choose to do what we do and why we are choosing to share this information with you in this moment right now. You know what I mean? And just remind you like, look, I could be anywhere else right now, but man, I am having the time of my life doing this right now in this moment. I really hope you join me for this ride. You know what I mean? And it's like, and I tell everybody, like when I get ready to to start a class, they always ask me at the end, like, how do you, how do you stay so hyped for so long? And it's like, I love it. Like, like I can't imagine, I can't imagine doing anything else and getting paid to do it. Like, are you kidding me? Talking to people all day long and, and getting paid to do, to share information. Are you kidding me? Like who, like, like what, what else would I do? Let it be like what? 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 We could grab a shovel, go like, like move some dirt around. Like that's boring. You know what I mean? Like I just, I just get to share ideas with people and feed off of other people's energy and talk to other people and see. Okay, what did you think about that? How did that make you feel? Like okay, let's mm-hmm. let's flesh it out a little bit. Okay, okay, yeah, all right, cool, all right. Now, what did you think? All right. Awesome. Really? That's interesting. Explain a little bit more to me. You know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff, like you really get to get into the psyche of individuals, see how they're thinking. You get to hear other people's experiences and then you get to share that information and knowledge. And then just you get to open up so many different people's um, like their perspectives of how they view the world. And then you get to send them back out into the world with different perspectives. Like the teaching profession, I think is so unique in that character to where it's very difficult to understand how once that no longer excites you, why you would still continue to do something that no longer, like you just, I, cool. Turn to page six. 
I'm mad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I just—it's like you—you're not excited about this no more. You know what I mean? Like just keep that energy going. You know what I mean? Like keep it, keep it maxed out. Ride, ride it till the wheels fall off, as Martin Lawrence would say. I said many times. So, John, how, how, what? <laughs> hey what's going on everybody like you know we talk about like how um the pandemic has changed so much of of what what we are doing what we have done what we are what we will have to do in the future what are some prospects like that y'all think that um you know talking about like future predictions what what are some things some more things that y'all think we can expect that we haven't seen yet uh maybe in just specifically to maybe even you know marching arts concert percussion you know we're a percussion education podcast so let's recenter it refocus it if you will a level set we like to use those words in, in corporate America. What 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 are some future predictions y'all have for where we might be headed? What do y'all think? John Gall, you want to go first? I I think from a marching arts standpoint, I think we will continue to see some sort of virtual competitions. I don't think it will replace entire in-person seasons. But I could see, especially early season stuff, to get adjudication from like from qualified judges, not just Joe Blow down the street that wants to come judge the band show. But I think we can see, I think we can expect to see that from circuits. You know, I think bands should, if that does continue, I do think bands should take advantage of that and winter percussion programs should take advantage of that because it's basically consultation way cheaper you're right that's a you good know? point I didn't like think with about our that. with our with our winter group i've signed up for both circuits in ohio and wgi and we're like we'll use the same video for some shows because they overlap but mm-hmm. it's different judges different feedback different you know especially if you're trying to grow your program i i think i think we can expect to see that the other thing I would love to see, and this this can probably this could be a whole another another long topic, the idea of minimum time limits. Mm. You mean like away. shorter time limits, or 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 eradicating minimum time limits? Like getting rid of minimum time limits. And I oh. had this discussion. I had this discussion with a a you know a couple buddies of mine recently of why. We're alienating younger, less experienced groups because we're saying you have to have a four-minute show or take a penalty. Mm-hmm. There are groups that are developing. Like, not every group is going out to WGI to win a class. Not every a class group has that expectation. And there's only going to be one winner. So when you're looking at groups, you know, forty to fifty. Would their students have had a better experience with a three minute and 15 second show that they drummed a little bit better on and got to develop a little bit more on, you know, and maybe not even, maybe not at the WGI level, maybe not at the national competitive level, but at the state circuit level, you know, your regional A groups or whatever, whatever your state only 
groups are called. Like we're called Double regional B. A. <laughs> we're called regional A. You know. Yeah. Like to not have a time limit to allow a middle school program come out and play a two minute show and right. still still be successful versus like, well, you got a forty five because you took a ten point penalty. Right. Or twenty point penalty or whatever. Like. I don't know. I think there's something about, I think our activity could grow without that limitation. And it's not going to affect the groups that want to be more successful because your shows to, to tell a story, whether you're telling little red riding hood or not, whatever has got to be so long to make sense. Anyways, to have a culmination. Right. And and groups that are doing that aren't going to be affected by having no minimum time limit. They have to go that long. Right. And it's it's kind of the same thing of like, you know, a writer that's going to tell a short story versus a writer that's going to write a novel. If you're a novelist, you're going to write a novel every time you sit down to write it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? If you're going to write a short story, you're going to write a short story. That's just how you write stories. You know what I mean? So why are we penalizing the people that are just starting out? But the way that they start out is by writing short stories. But mm-hmm. you're saying in order for me to start, I got to kick start with a novel. That don't make sense. You know what I'm saying? Like right. that's that's weird. That really that that's a great analogy in terms of what we're expecting, right? We're we're kickstarting. It's like how do most writers start? They start with poems or they start with short stories. But we're saying, nah, I need you to kick me out a short novel. You know what I mean? Like what? <laughs> like I'm, I right? can't. You know what I mean? Like I can't, I can't meet the deadline, boss. Well, then you, you start. You know what I mean? Like that's that's wild. You know, but like you said, it's not gonna hurt the people that are at the top of the class. It only hurts the people that are just trying to get their foot in the door. You know what I mean? That are trying to build mm-hmm. and develop. Yeah, our circuit's only doing. Our circuit's doing five shows. They're doing three video submissions and then two in-person shows this year. So, you know, I, you know, I didn't even think about the fact that that's less expensive consultation with more consultants, which is, yeah. Not not only that, but I'm in Ohio. I can sign up for a Florida show. I can sign up for a California show. Hey, not a, not a bad concept introduce more more um more competition right regionally and nationally hmm didn't even think about that i i definitely think that it's going to make i i think it's going to make a lot of groups a lot of groups be more creative with the resources that we actually already have i think I I feel like I've said this before on a previous podcast. I also feel like it is going to create a large divide in the middle of the groups Mm -hmm. that kind of like phase out and they start to become like, they just kind of plateau and do this. And the groups in the middle that use the, you know, use the technology to their advantage to, you know, to kind of, you know, grow. Um, Because like Ryan said, all those things have always been available. You know what I mean? It's not like people are just now starting to consult. It's not like people are just now starting to do all those things. There's lots of things that people could see without having to physically be in that space. But I think that we've never been in a situation where we've been forced to use that. You right. know what I mean? 
Right. So I think that's going to help. The other thing is I feel like the time limit in some instances would help the creativity as well, just because people would be forced to make different decisions on what's actually effective. You know what I mean? Like um, one of the things that um, uh, uh, that I, I'm a big proponent of that I feel like is is helping is creating parameters that force you to create in a sense. And I think that in a lot of ways, we think that, you know, having all these different choices just makes us more creative when really it just gives us option anxiety of like, oh, I could do this or I could do that or I could do this or I could do that. When really having those parameters forces us to choose and it helps us to not be stagnant in the place that we are and it forces us to have to get something done, which is the reason why also I feel like a lot of those A-class shows and those lower class shows are in a lot of ways more interesting from a conceptual standpoint sometimes than the you know the groups that are in world class or that are better because they kind of rely on the fact that they're playing well or they rely on the wow factor of we can do this that or whatever so i don't know i definitely feel like uh using technology to our advantage is going to be something that's going to help uh, that's going to happen, but I also feel like there's going to be a greater divide in the people that either get on the train of like using technology or the people that they're going to start to fade out because they're just stuck in their own way. And they're just like, I'm not going to, you know, go on the virtual train. I'm in a different sphere than kind of all of y'all in the fact that my, I don't do indoor anymore. Uh, I, I don't teach at, at least for this year, I took a, a uh, break from teaching VIP uh, just because at the beginning of the WGI season, we didn't really know what was going on. I know it's been, I've been teaching there, I think four years. I think this would have been my fourth year teaching there. Uh, and VIP, for those that don't know, stands for Vigilantes Indoor Percussion. It's a indoor percussion theater, uh, world-class independent that competes in the WGI circuit located here in, in Texas. Uh, the two big groups in Texas are as Vigilantes, VIP, and Monarch, and the independent level. Uh, but yeah, this is my first year actually taking a step away from the indoor season. So I'm, I'm in a different sphere from y'all in that regard, that I'm, I'm doing more percussion ensemble focus. And I think with the whole pandemic, <coughs> excuse me, uh, turning everything virtual, I think in the future, if this continues, uh, there's going to be a lot more virtual concerts. And I've seen some great examples already float on Facebook from a lot of different band director friends all around the country, how they'll have, uh, like for example, one that comes to mind, the Milton High School. I taught there uh, with uh, Mr. Schumick, Chris Schumick over there. And uh, they, they have a, great well-established band program and what i really enjoyed about their concert it was all virtual and so they had uh, an announcer and he you know he had a deep announcer voice that he's been doing this for many years and he introduced the, the program and uh what was really cool is each of the various composers of the different pieces that uh chris's band played and he had the different levels i think the concert and the wind 
uh, band, and I think the percussion ensemble maybe played a few pieces as well. But they were able to get uh, like a, a small video from each composer, uh, send in, um, wish the band their their best of luck, uh, and so like as an audience member, I was able to hear the announcer kind of give some background about the piece. I was able to see the composer face to face. Uh, and then it, it went to the video snapshot of that particular band, a percussion ensemble playing the piece. And so it was, it was a nice 30, 45 minute. Uh, it actually may have been a little bit shorter because there was no transition times, right? It was just next clip, next clip, next clip. Edited so professionally that I think that's kind of going to be a benchmark statement in the future if we can't have live concerts anymore, at least for the time being until again, like we've said, a lot of vaccines and, and things of that nature. Uh, but for me this year, since I'm not doing indoor, I'm trying to figure out ways to have the kids motivated with their individual solos, maybe one on mallet, one on, on snare, being able to record them and, educate them along the process on how to do that, both visually and, and auditorily. <laughs> Audibly. <laughs> <laughs> English was never a strong <laughs> Those are my things. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Me no speak words. So, oh, it's like um, the office. Uh, just me speak fewer words. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin. There we go. Kevin. No, anyway. So what I'm saying is I think in, there's going to be a lot more virtual concerts and that education standpoint of both, both the instructor figuring it out, because uh, this is, again, all new territory for me, uh, and also just teaching the, the students, both from a soloistic standpoint, but also from an ensemble, whether it's percussion ensemble or maybe a bigger group, uh, a wind band or, or things of that nature, which was really actually kind of cool that we're mentioning this. Because before we went off to winter break, uh, due to the number of students who were in person or who attended rehearsals after school, uh, the, the high school I teach at Trimble Tech, uh, we were able to do a collaboration with the orchestra and play a Trans-Siberian orchestra piece and kind of send that out to everybody in the whole school. And we got to send it out to the news uh, and kind of just as like a, a hoorah of like, hey, this is what the students are working on in class in a, in a safe way. And just being able to kind of collaborate, collaborate together and create both, uh, get a few takes of, all right, let's do from this chunk to this chunk. Okay, we get a few recordings. And then we were able to go outside to the front of the school and, and like record and put both the visual and the audio track together. I think that was kind of cool that if we didn't have to, if we weren't pushed in that direction because of the pandemic, I don't think things of that would, things of that nature would happen. Right. So I, th I think more of those are going to happen in the future. I like that. The idea of even more, more unseen collaborations that could perhaps be more collaborations, even after the fact, like th this has brought, on more camaraderie in certain respects from different, you know, places that we've never seen before. Um, 
you know, me and my Uber driver, <laughs> Uber Eats driver getting along. I don't know. I just like <laughs> <making> jokes now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm just making jokes now, but um, yeah, but I mean, I, I will say, I think after, after this year, we've, we've been through um, so many, we've, we've had to be so versatile in the last year that I think versatility has almost become a norm mm-hmm. for us that we we almost have started to thrive in it just a little um and and i i say that cautiously because i you know to thrive obviously you have to you know you almost kind of have to want to be in it and i don't know if we necessarily always want to be in the situation that we're currently in but i think we've made the best of it and have you know, done what we can inside of it to make the best of it. But we've also tried to, as we've stated, take in all of the stuff that we've learned along the way and propelled into even greater heights. So that's kind of what I mean by thriving um, to where it's not like we're not just trying to survive it anymore to where it's like, okay, I'm going to take this thing, I'm going to own it and I'm going to make it even better you know, even amidst the circumstances. Uh, But like, that's what true people that are passionate about what they do, do. You know what I mean? Do, do. (laughs) I said do, do on a podcast. Uh, (laughs) I knew you were going to stop for that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, so, you know, I I think, I think we can, I think we can kind of summarize everything that we've done in the, in the last year as, uh, a lot of uh, stress, but also a lot of success. You know, this podcast mm-hmm. in itself was born out of an idea of how can we put together the ideas and opinions of four different individuals in four different parts of the country and share that information for the benefit and wealth of others. And I think we did it successfully and we game plan how to continue doing it uh, going forward, which in my idea is success and then thriving and then continuing that for the benefit of others, which is a beautiful thing. You know what I mean? Like that to me and the fact that people subscribe to it as well means that we're doing something right. You know what I mean? And uh, and it's positive. Uh, People get something out of it. The comments that we've received thus far, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that people get something out of it. They learn something from it, which is which is always a positive thing, because I think as educators, it's important that if we're sharing that information, we're sharing that wealth, we're doing what we can to give back to, you know, everything that has has been given to us in that landscape. So. Uh, final thoughts, gentlemen, as we wrap up for this comeback session for season two. <laughs> Brian, final thoughts. I would just tell everybody we got to keep pushing through this for the sake of ourselves and our students. And, uh, you know, all this stuff will eventually pass. And I hope that everyone's come out of this better teachers you know, but also took some time. Like I know I've invested in myself and just made sure that I'm a better person, which inevitably will make me a better teacher as well. And uh, it's not too late if you haven't done anything like that. If you've been a 
couch potato just waiting for this whole thing to to blow over. It's not going to. Uh, but get off the couch. Do a, do a little bit of work. A little bit of work goes a real long way. Amen. Amen, bro. John Gall. It's what you do that defines you. Oh. <laughs> uh. No, I, I have. Uh, Chris actually, Nolan. I have that Pro. quote. I have that from Batman. I have that written on my whiteboard over here. Wow. But uh, a question I also have written down uh, that I wake up and I see this question every day. It's it's it's, it's it says this. It's uh, what are you doing today to set yourself up for success tomorrow? And so I have different categories like mentally, physically, socially, musically, spiritually, financially, academically. And I think that can be definitely applied both from a, because of this whole pandemic, we've had to focus a lot on ourselves and, and making sure that we as individuals are okay, uh, but also expanding that out to others around us, especially as educators and as teachers uh, reaching out to students and their parents and faculty members and uh, comrades and friends and things, seeing how they're doing. So uh, what are you doing today to set yourself up for success tomorrow? I think that can be applied to us personally, but also for our students. Mr. Dickens, take us home. Yeah, I definitely agree with uh, everyone that's uh, everyone that said anything at this point, as far as the closing closing things. I think the thing that comes to my mind is the fact that change is the only constant that we have, you know, so ultimately we have to make sure that we're always able to shift with whatever is happening. And I think that we can be a great example of that as human beings to our students by um, being, you know, empathetic, like Ryan has said before, and also being vulnerable enough to let them see us change let them see our progression as directors, let them see our progression as educators and how we pivot when we deal with, you know, the situations that we're all dealing with right now with the pandemic. And like uh, John just said, you know, how are you gonna come out of this pandemic better um, as, as an educator? Because at the end of the day, af after the pandemic is over, there'll be something else, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like there's always gonna be consistent changes, but the only way that we can be successful is we have to be able to meet those changes and figure out what we need to learn so that we can move forward and be the best version of ourselves. So that's what I'm focusing on. Well said. All right, gentlemen, my name is Elanders Frazier. We have Mr. Ryan Reed, Mr. Robert Dickens, and Mr. John Gall. Thank you all so much uh, for joining us on our comeback episode for season two for Volta. We will be seeing y'all on the next one. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Gents, 